Hello, and welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work of social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is a space and community uh, for folks who believe in and want to do the work for social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want Interdependent Study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. And Damien, you're up this week. Uh, What do you bring to the table today? I am. All right. So uh, it may be a surprise to you. (laughs) No, it won't be. I'm super excited for us to continue our conversation from last week, a part two, if you will. Love a good part two. Uh, As folks know, last week you brought an incredible resource guide from our friends at Interrupting Criminalization, Project Nia, and Critical Resistance that's called... So is this actually an abolitionist proposal or strategy? And the subtitle is a collection of resources to aid in evaluation and reflection. I Uh, probably should have said that subtitle last week. I don't think you did. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, I'm helping you folks. Mm -hmm. Uh, You weren't able to find it. (laughs) Google couldn't help you. Now you'll be able to find it. Um, So the organizations that compiled this resource describe it as a jumping off point for thinking strategically about abolitionist organizing, which I really think is spot on. It's full of helpful tools and ways to engage in in abolition and to do this work. And so uh, last week, we had a really great conversation about the first half of the binder. Um, So uh, I will first say that if you hadn't had a a chance to go and listen to that, I would encourage you to do that. Please listen to, what was that, episode 72? This is now episode 73. Uh, But this time, we're going to talk about the second half. So I'm bringing the rest of this incredible resource guide to the table for us today. Uh, So we're going to talk about Section 5, which is called Evaluating Candidates, Section 6, which is Public Health, Section 7, which is called Schools, and Section 8, titled Reproductive Justice. So yeah, uh, I can't say it enough. I'm really excited mm-hmm. <laughs> to have this, uh, to have read through this whole thing. Can't wait already to revisit it. Um, yeah. I feel like there's so much that we're going to, uh, I think there's many times where we're, we're going to be sitting at this table talking about uh, this guide. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about it. Where do you want to start, my friend? Well, this was a great resource last week when I brought it, and it continues to be a great resource this week now that you're bringing it. Hey. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I'm glad I, it didn't change. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't change. Um, yeah, it didn't get worse as, I, as it went through. Uh, I think this part of the binder dives into things that might not be obviously abolitionist to ah, people or, yeah. or obviously connected to the abolition of the prison industrial complex. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, last week we talked about courts and police and prisons and detention centers. All of people can get that like yes. that. It's in the name. Um, <laughs> yes. Right. But uh, I think a clear t- connection. There, yeah. Right. Yeah. I think talking about political candidates is pretty obvious, but then maybe public health and schools and reproductive justice might give folks some pause. Uh, if they haven't done much learning about the movement for abolition. So I am excited to continue to talk about this because I think it gets into some of the things that maybe people are like, well, how is that connected? But again, I'll say what I said about from Ruth Wilson Gilmore, that abolition is about presence, not absence. It's about creating those life-affirming institutions, um, which I said last 
what so on episode 71 when we talked about the Janes I mentioned that's that that's right um, and I think that this shows some of the ways that those life affirming institutions can be uh, created or changed uh, into being life affirming maybe absolutely and the ways in which sort of uh, this touches all aspects of our lives yes right yeah, yeah. absolutely um, all right well let's let's dive in um, I think we're going to start with section five on evaluating political candidates. And I will admit, and maybe this will be a funny for folks, uh, that when I saw the title evaluating candidates, I thought it was like evaluating job candidates. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, it's evaluating political candidates. So I had a good chuckle. That makes sense. Yeah. I had a good chuckle to myself. Uh, but I think it was a really great decision to include <laughs> this section on evaluating political candidates uh, in this binder because – I mean, we certainly know the impact that our elected officials have on our everyday lives, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we just spent uh, some time a couple of weeks ago talking about, as you alluded to, abortion and reproductive rights. And we spent two episodes doing that. And our, our elected officials have played quite a role in that, right? From mm -hmm. what decisions have been made at the state level to all the way to who is sitting on the Supreme Court. Right. And so this is important. And I think this is a really helpful chapter for all of us. I think not even just from an abolitionist perspective, but also just to be informed and engaged citizens. Right. Yeah. Um, what's great in this chapter is that it includes a pretty comprehensive list of questions to consider when evaluating who you might vote for in an election. So questions to help you figure out things like who a candidate is, what identities they hold, what they believe in what they've accomplished, uh, what political relationships they have, have had, are currently in, um, how they've held themselves, how they've been held accountable, how they hold themselves accountable to their promises and their their policies and their politics, um, to even how they engage in um, and engage with uh, movements and movement work, which I thought was really uh, a cool sort of set of questions, right? And so in, uh, I want to highlight some of those. They asked things like, uh, here are the questions. How they and will they be accountable to collective processes and demands, even if they personally disagree? Mm -hmm. uh, and what is their theory on the role of the elected, the role of movements, and the relationship between the two? And finally, in what ways are they committed to using their platform to advance movement building? Such great questions, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but I think all of this was really great in terms of helping us to figure out if a candidate is going to do the work that's necessary, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, when I read this, I think right before we're in Maryland. Yeah. Um, it's the it's primary season here. Um, so early voting just wrapped up yesterday for a primary season. Yeah. Um, and so I used, it happened to have read this just as I was um, going to vote. Uh, and so um, it, may, it made me think about it as I was filling in the bubbles, like how much of this have I had a chance to apply Yes, um, and, and whatnot. And so um, I think I feel pretty good <laughs> about uh, the choices I made. So we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out uh, yep. after the actual um, voting period on uh, whenever that is. Um, this will come out well after that. Yes. All that's decided. So yes. um, we're, we're speaking into the future. Um, but uh, yeah, I really appreciated this section. It accomplished a lot in like two pages. Right. It was, it was very, uh, I think, in depth. Um, I 
think about as you read those questions. I thought about um, somebody like Cinema um, from Arizona, mm. who was uh, allegedly a, a community organizer type person, right? Um, and is now I, I don't know, not uh, that at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like doesn't seem to be accountable at all to the people um, that elected her, um, and we're excited about her um, when she was running. Um, but yet, so I, you know, this section does a great job of naming what happens in politics where candidates make promises that they can't fulfill or they, they won't they fulfill. Won't fulfill. Uh, yes. And ultimately, I think, as you mentioned, it talks about how do we understand the roots of these people? Who are they? What experiences did they have growing up? Um, and how have they shown up, showed up for the community in the past? Right? Yeah. Like what, what is, what does that look like? Uh, and how will they, could, and does that, show us how they'll continue to show up in the future. Um, Cause you can't, you don't always know, but Absolutely. It's, it's some, sometimes usually maybe a good blueprint for what that looks like. Absolutely. And I feel like over the course of our lifetimes, we've seen more and more of that, right? Like candidates have had yeah. to beyond sort of the standard, like disclosure of, you know, uh, are you married? What's your religion? That kind of stuff. Like candidates really are doing more to showcase and share who they are, right? What identities they hold, you know, um, you know where they've come from, um, right? And that I think that's more important to people uh, now more than ever, right? As we think about that, you're the person who's going to represent us, right? I think yeah. about someone like Cori Bush, right, mm-hmm. and her story, right, mm-hmm. and the ways in which she, you know she talks about. Um, being from where she is from and uh, being poor and living out of her car, right? Like all of these things yeah. that inform her story, um, but that also inform the work that she does for her constituents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's really so important as we think about, you know, who needs to be in these rooms and these spaces representing us and making decisions on our behalf. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're right. Two pages, maybe three, maybe it touches three. I don't think so. <laughs> it was so yeah. short, but so powerful. So, yeah, I, I I appreciated that. And again, it's about political candidates and not job candidates. Mm. Uh, well, political candidates are job candidates in a way. That's it's just that true. We're all interviewing them. That's true. And also and hiring uh, them, if yeah. you will. <laughs> in some ways, we yeah. have a very small portion of the hiring decision. Yes. <laughs> That's Very funny. small. Thank you, my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that was section five. I I really uh, also appreciated section six. I like yep. how they really made it crystal clear in section six, which is on again on public health, that law enforcement and the criminal punishment system are critical public health issues that need to be addressed. Right, like these are are uh, there are these clear and concise statements on how and why. We need to divest funding from these entities that do harm, that yep. do documented harm, yep. in fact, um, and instead invest in social services that that truly help folks, right? And how we have to decriminalize activities and policies that continue to marginalize folks and, and perpetuate violence against folks and communities, right? And so yeah. that was really all great stuff. Um, I especially appreciated the resources for organizers and activists mm-hmm. that are engaged in politics uh, and the work to make it clear that law enforcement and the criminal punishment system have a negative impact on public health um, and and fight for us to address it. Like yeah. 
uh, one of the really cool things in this where there were actual talking points for individuals and organizations to use, which is so great, right? Mm. Uh, so again, stuff like that, like this section and, and all of that stuff, like just makes me really excited that this resource exists um, and how much it will have the capacity to help folks make a real difference uh, in this work, you know? Yeah, I th- this section on public health is great. Um, you know, there's a chart in particular um, called Liberation is Essential, Leveraging Governmental Public Health Tools to Address the Harms of the Criminal Legal System. Yes. Um, and it, it's amazing because yep. I think it, it um, does a great job of looking at governmental processes and programs that could decrease the power of the prison industrial complex uh, by analyzing how that system is, as you said and suggested, harming individuals, families, and communities. Yep. Uh, one of these one of the suggestions in this chart uh, is to investigate, diagnose, and address health problems and hazards affecting the population, mm-hmm. uh, which notes that a lot of these issues um, that are conf- that are right now handled by, confronted by police and prisons will be better addressed with a public health lens. Yes. Uh, so doing that assessment and figuring out how funding could be redirected to a holistic public health service will be a great start toward decreasing the power of the criminal punishment system yes. and taking people who don't who aren't being served by that system but are I guess they're they're being criminal their behavior is being criminalized in some way taking them out of that cycle out of that system and into a place that's maybe going to address their needs more more effectively um, than you know throwing them into a cell for however long. Absolutely. Right. Uh, I, yeah, I liked that. And I think so much of this, you said the word investigated, it made me think about so much of this was, uh, so much of this work that they uh, call attention to that's necessary here is rooted in data, right. Mm -hmm. And it's rooted in sort of that investigative work, right? Like we have to know the information and our, in so many ways, our public health officials know their communities, serve their communities, have this information. We have it at our disposal, right? And so um, how are we then using it to advocate for, again, divesting uh, resources and money in particular from uh, these systems that harm us um, and our, our public health crisis, uh, as, I, as I said earlier. Uh, but yeah, that chart in particular was really, really um, powerful and a great mm-hmm. resource. So thanks for calling attention to it. Yeah, um, Aaron, my friend. Section seven on yeah. schools. This is so good. So again, good. <laughs> there's not there's not a lot like it's not a long section. No, it tackles so much. It does. Right. Um, and I think, you know, there's there was a lot in it that we've already talked about here um, yeah. in some ways. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we've touched upon some of this, um, uh, especially as it relates to the, the critical need, uh, the necessary need to take law enforcement out of our schools um, and why that is important. Yeah. Um, why having police in schools does more harm than good. Um, yeah. Why having police in schools only advances and perpetuates things like the school to prison pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I'm wondering if you felt the same way I did, there is a section of this, uh, of this resource um, on how to grow abolition on college campuses. Yep. And I loved it. <laughs> there are, uh, I believe it was eight clear actions that mm-hmm. college campuses can take to truly be abolitionist campuses. Um, and and I, I one of the things I also have appreciated in each of these sections is that they, they acknowledge that 
in some places, in some campuses, um, some of this work is already happening, right? Like some of these things are already showing up on some of our campuses, which is great. Um, and there, But there's certainly lots of work to be done. Um, and some campuses are further along than others. Right. Yeah. But, um, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm looking you here in the eyes to say, I want us to take more, I'll take a closer look at this, sure. um, and, and to see what we might want to do with it on our own campus. But yeah, I, what did you think of this section? <laughs> yeah, I think, um, this section was great. I think the, um, you know, the, concept of police in schools is relatively new yeah um i think it's it's tied to columbine Mm -hmm. and and the aftermath of columbine um and i you know you mentioned the school to prison pipeline the school to prison pipeline might not exist if police aren't in schools which doesn't mean that just removing police from schools today would change the school to prison pipeline um, or eliminate it but you know, I talk about one big begets step. the other. Yes, um, and so you know, um, some normal adolescent behavior becomes criminalized because there's cops in schools, and that's what happens. Yeah. Um, so I want to ex- uh, highlight a couple of examples from twelve quick reasons to support police-free schools. Mm. Um, one of one of those uh, examples is school police. Uh, make students feel less safe by escalating everyday issues and responding with the tools of policing, handcuffs, arrests, searches, and use of force and violence. Yep. Um, another is school police gobble up public funds year after year with the cost of school policing reaching $451 million in New York City this coming school year uh, and tens of millions more spent on safety and security infrastructure like student surveillance technologies. That's too um, much money. It's so much money. So those are two things, uh, two two quick reasons out of 12 quick reasons from that resource <laughs> um, that I think highlight the ways that, that this isn't this isn't doing what I think it was designed to do. Um, you know, uh, so I, it's so many, there's 12 quick reasons to support police free schools. Uh, and and those are just two. And we've talked about harm, right? And we're all about harm reduction. And and you, you said things like handcuffs and arrests and searches, right. And force and violence. Like that has no business in our schools with our Mm -hmm. children. Right. And think about, to think about a child sitting in a seat and, and having, and seeing handcuffs, seeing arrests, seeing that force of violence. We've seen those videos of police literally lifting children and slamming them on desks. Like, yeah. what, what is that doing to our children? What good is that doing? It's not. Right. So that coupled with those astronomical figures, you said 451 million, tens of millions of dollars. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all of that. It's super important. That's a great resource in this section. Uh, and then I'm definitely with you on the college campus resource. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I think I saw it floating around online a couple years ago when it, when it came out. Yep. Um, it was great to see it again um, because I, it's lost somewhere in my files on my computer. Ah, now you um, 
But the piece I want to highlight from that is, uh, quote, build radical forms of community and interdependence, mm-hmm. um, which included leveraging university resources to pay local abolition feminist anti-violence organizers to share resources, tools, and workshops. Um, and so those are some some things that I think people are, are doing yeah. in small ways here and there um, to bring people to campus um, to talk about different things, you know. I, have seen Angela Davis speak at the University of Maryland yeah. as an example. Yes. Um, she's not local, um, but abolition femi- feminist for sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that that resource in and of itself is, is also a great thing to, to look, look at more and dive into more. Absolutely. Just, you know, given the work that we do mm-hmm. um, and the interest that we have there. Absolutely. I love that. Um, I, uh, uh, last but not least is a section Eight, mm-hmm. And I think the question of how relevant Section 8 uh, on reproductive justice is uh, in these times, in this, in this post-Roe v. Wade world we now live in, um, would really be a rhetorical one at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the notion of re- reproductive autonomy uh, that they refer to in this section is truly in danger now. And so this resource is great. Because it has, uh, it includes a list of policies that activists uh, can fight for and policymakers can pursue uh, to try to get us back to the place where we need to be in order to protect folks um, and give folks that reproductive autonomy that um, everyone deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I think about in particular the the past few weeks and conversations that we've had around what has gone on uh, in our society and our country now. Um, uh, I think this particular section is 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 really timely, uh, and I think a lot of folks like us uh, and folks invested in this work are going to pick this section up and use it. Mm, yeah, agreed. I think this section is really wonderful, and there's there's a particular section that has different um, thoughts for different kinds of people doing different kinds of work, yes. um, and what they might support based on what's sort of popularly supported in those kinds that kind of work mm-hmm. so specifically they talk about um, and talk to organizers who are interested in public health uh, working against poverty uh, anti-violence organizers uh, so they have these specific thoughtful ways that folks can engage in how uh, abolition ties into the work that they're already doing that's right um, and making those connections for them so yeah another another great section um, and resource for for folks in this um, wonderful binder. I love it. Um, All right, so well, let's shift uh, and talk specifically about what we're thinking about as the application of all of this. Mm. Uh, You know, again, I said this last week, everything in this resource binder is application, uh, the whole thing. I love this binder because I think there's, I really think and truly believe that there's an entry point for everyone you know, yeah. I think if you're newer to abolition and the concept and the principles um, and, and or just want to learn more about it, like that first section can be your gateway to learning more about what abolition is all about uh, and learning about what and who is important when we're talking about abolition. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think it's an incredibly helpful resource if you are an activist or an organizer or an organization or an educator or, or a policymaker. Right. Because there are. Just in every section, there are tangible examples and resources and guides and questions and literally step-by-step guides to sort of engage in the work that's necessary given that topic. 
Um, so yeah, the, the application for me here is that this whole damn thing is application and it is for yeah. everyone. And so, um, if you haven't had a chance yet to, to read this and I mean, it is, it's eight sections, it's chock full of, it's a lot. Um, and particularly those first four sections, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of information there, but, um, I think it's, it, it, it is such an important and helpful, uh, uh, resource for, for all of us. So, Yeah. What are you thinking? Yeah, I think um, you know this resource touched on touches on so many ways that um, we interact with our government. Um, mm. You know whether that's um, public health services yeah. or schools um, or police or courts. We all have, as you said, some kind of entry point into trying to understand this work. Yes, we all have a reference to to lean back on. Um, we all have some kind of connection to this. And I, I Absolutely. agree. I think that it could be used by people who haven't thought much about abolition at all. Um, and, and they could grasp what this means and, and what it is. Um, and it's also helpful f- to people who are on the ground doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think the, the questions that it asks, the, the, um, different resources that it offers, the guides, um, all help people think about and, and hone in on their strategy, um, toward abolition. Absolutely. Uh, and so, you know, I think that this, this is a, um, accessible, really great resource for, for anybody, um, to be able to dive into and, and learn more. Absolutely. I love it. And again, we encourage folks to, to do that with us. Uh, well, let's move on to homework. Um, I think, as you just said, if you haven't read it, <laughs> read it, um, share it. Um, but let's think about and talk about where we go from here in terms of what we want to learn more about and, and what we want to do when we leave this table of ours. Um, for, for me, there's just so much in this resource that I want to revisit um, and I want to spend more time with. I mentioned some of that last week um, from what I want to revisit and need to revisit from the first half of the resource. And there's certainly more from the second half. I want to spend more time with that section on schools in particular and, and what, um, uh, what is talked about, about higher ed in particular and, and see what kind of work I can do. We can do what influence we may have as it relates to what they offered there. Um, and so that's just, one piece of homework of of many pieces of homework as it relates to revisiting this incredible resource that I I want to do. Yeah. Uh, what about you, my friend? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm really interested in the schools section. Um, that's the, the piece that I think I'm the most drawn to in this half because of my um, role. Yes. Um, um, both as a as somebody working on a college campus, but also as a um, you know a dad to. Um, a kid in elementary school. Yeah. Um, so um, there are, there is um, the national campaign for police free schools. Um, so I want to learn more about them and, and dive more into that um, since they created the resource called We Came to Learn a Call to Action for Police Free Schools. Um, so um, that that would be great. Yes. Obviously, the the resource about bringing abolition to college campuses would be great to, to get into more of that as well. Um, so yeah, that's, Absolutely. That's, that's my homework for this well, week. Well, I think the other homework that we have is we'll continue to talk about this and figure out, you know, how we're going to revisit this on this podcast, this resource. There's, yeah. you know, I think we named several places where 
there was too much information <laughs> uh-huh. maybe to talk about in a single episode, uh, splitting this up into two. So I'm, I'm super excited to think about how we might call out some of the pieces and really sort of give them a due justice um, mm-hmm. and, and, and learn more from it. Um, so I, I'll also add that as, as additional homework for us as well. Cool. Love it. All right, my friend, you're up next time. Mm-hmm. What are you bringing to the table in our next episode? I am bringing a newish book. Newish. Um, yeah, it's I I didn't look up when it came out. It came out recently. Yes, it did. Um this year. Uh called Elite Capture: How the Powerful Took Over Identity Politics and Everything Else. Mm. Uh it's written by Olufemi Taiwo uh and released uh in the last couple of months, I think, by Haymarket Books. Shout out Haymarket. Uh, so it's right here. Hey. Uh, and the description from the back cover calls this a searing indictment of the ways elites have co-opted radical critiques of racial capitalism to serve their own ends and offers a powerful vision for a constructive alternative rooted in the politics of solidarity. Yes. So it sounds like an incredible read, um, and I'm looking forward to talking about it right here. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. I think we both just started to, we both cracked it open this week. And, yep. uh, uh, it's, it's so far so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, looking forward to, to chatting about it with you uh, next time. Very good. Yes. All right. So with that, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. You know what I'm going to ask you to do. Please follow, leave a rating and review, share our podcast with the people in your life, follow us on social media, check us out on YouTube, and of course, sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we've got going on behind the scenes. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. And we'll talk to you next week. 